Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome back to the Framestore podcast, episode 28, part two. On Monday's episode, we engage Suzanne Jandu, Head of 2D for Integrated Advertising, in our 13-question grilling, otherwise known as the Framestore Podcast Dailies. On today's episode, we pass the mic to this week's guest co-host, compositor Sterling Tipton. So, without further delay, we hope you enjoy episode 28, part 2 of the Framestore Podcast, our comp special. Welcome back to the Framestore podcast, the second installment of our conversation with Suzanne Jandu, Head of 2D for Integrated Advertising. This is where we hand over to this week's guest co-host, Sterling Tipton, compositor at our Montreal studio, who will continue the interview where we left off. So Sterling, it's very much over to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Simon. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Suzanne, welcome back on the show as well. Thank you. <laughs> I'll get right into it. Um, so the main difference between you and I, aside from that we're in two different cities, uh, is that I'm on the film and episodic side and you are in advertising. Uh, aside from our different pipelines as well, what else would you say distinguishes life and advertising for you? And since I know you've worked a bit on both sides, do you have a preference for either? Um, well, integrated advertising is kind of a misleading name because um, though we have uh, the word advertising and people tend to hear that a little bit more than the integrated part, we do uh, more than just advertising. So we um, do episodic work. Um, you know, we've worked on The Boys and The Witcher and The Crown and Invasion um, we very much have a very big um, episodic team. And we also uh, work on immersive rides. Uh, we do design projects. And actually, we even do films um, So uh, and film titles. So we, we actually cover almost everything under the sun. I think the only thing that we don't do really are video games. We very much do like all kinds of stuff. I, I, I actually like to call us a special projects team because I also I, I find integrated advertising is a little bit misleading. Yeah, it's a misnomer. It is, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I still work on the box and I still work on all of these shows. Um, so I, I really don't feel like I'm missing out on anything um, because, yeah, as, as you pointed out, I, I did used to work on a lot of films in the past, which was always great fun. Um, but I don't feel like it's that different. You know, the only difference really is that we used to have a little bit more time in film to spend time on shots, where in integrated advertising, it's a little more fast paced. Certainly with advertising, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, we can work on, um, you know, the Sky uh, promo that I mentioned earlier is a good example. You know, we had to turn that project around in comp um, in three weeks. So it was a very fast paced job. Yeah. Whereas here, I can't even fathom getting a show and working on it for that short amount of time before jumping to something else. Uh, do you enjoy that level of variety more so than 
what we have here on the film side? I think so, yeah. It's really exciting and you know, we're constantly our skill sets are constantly growing because you know, one day you might be just slapping, you know, a background and a foreground together. The next day you might be doing a green screen comp. Uh, the next day you might be trying to learn how to use keen tools, you know, or deep fakes. Like there's there's always something around the corner that you need to figure out. So it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's great that it keeps you on your toes. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to keep you on my toes with my questions. Uh, <laughs> the next one I have is about uh, um, 2D versus 3D. I know that you have a background in both. Uh, but since this is the comp special after all, I've got to know, what made you ultimately choose to advance your career in 2D? And what do you like most about it? Oh, um, well, I think what really changed my career path was when I saw the movie The Matrix, um, because that, you know, I had already started, I was already working as a lighter and a compositor, mm -hmm. but I was working on a 3D animated children's TV show. Um, and when I saw The Matrix, which came out in 1999, I just, I was so blown away by that film. I just thought to myself, like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to make magic on screen. And because I had already had a taste of comping my own 3D shots, I decided to kind of take the plunge. And at the time, Shake was the software, industry software. Uh, so I found a job um, in Montreal, actually. Uh, that was offering a job in comp using Shake. And yeah, I moved straight into that. Nice, nice. It was, uh, it was a great experience, yeah. And then I think I knew early on after understanding, you know, lighting and comp and seeing these films and being really inspired by them that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I really enjoy the aspect of putting the finishing touches on things with comp because you can really say that, you know, this shot is mine. I made it look the way it looks rather than just working on a single asset or a certain aspect of it. Uh, would you say that's something that you enjoy about it too? Or is there anything else that's special and, and niche about working in comp for you? No, I agree with you. You know, putting the final touches on a, on an image and collecting, you know, different renders and elements from a library and making a final picture is probably the most exciting thing about our job. Sometimes I feel like a mad repairman just digging through my bag of tools frantically, <laughs> you know, searching for how I'm going to stitch all these parts together, but somehow it it always comes through in the end and it's it's a great feeling to have. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's kind of exciting, isn't it? When you you're you're given lots of pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and you have to figure out how to make it work. It's, it is, it is, I find that really exciting. Yeah, I always compare it to working on a puzzle because even the dynamic, I, I went on vacation earlier this summer and uh, we took, it was a big family vacation. We took a thousand piece puzzle with us. And when we were working on this puzzle together, it really felt similar to when I'm working on a show in comp because here we are sitting as a team trying to, oh, I, I don't have this piece, but I'm working on this section do you see anything that could help me? You know, can you, can you pass me this piece? And sometimes you get stuck on one section and it all just looks like mud and you're asking yourself, does this piece even belong in this puzzle? Did it come out of another box in the attic somewhere? What is this? And other times you put something together and it just clicks and you're like, oh, 
I've seen a piece that goes right next to this and this and this and this. And all of a sudden, you've got a complete picture. It's just, it's magic. It's so true. Yeah, that that is so true. That's that's exactly how it works. Comp for the win. <laughs> uh, another thing that I love is the structure of working on shows. As someone who's still a comp artist and working my way up, um, working on shows speaks to my personal background in theater because uh, you work with the same team for a period and you get to know each other and really fa- uh, form bonds with your teammates. But then once the production is done, you switch teams, you move things around and you work on something different and you get into a different flow. Um, but obviously as head of department, you touch on so many shows and you've got your your finger in a, do- a lot of different pies at the same time. Um, so what's that like for you? And are there aspects of show-based work that you miss? Um, I find it really exciting because I get to have like a really good overview of, of all the work that's being done in the studio. Um, and I do like multitasking. I think it's not for everybody, but I definitely do like, you know, working on the box one moment and then talking to the crew the next moment and hiring and, you know, sitting in on dailies and trying to make the work better. Sometimes I do miss focusing on shots, you know, just putting on some music and having time to put all of my efforts into one really big shot. I I do miss that. But I get a lot of other positives from my job. Yeah. It all kind of points to one final outcome, which is to make a beautiful picture. You know, we're we're all working together to make these beautiful images and I just got a kick out of doing all of that it's really exciting to me to see the evolution of an image yeah now you've worked and lived in several different cities which is not at all uncommon in the world of VFX oftentimes artists can be seemingly nomadic even but you seem to really have settled in London to follow your dreams and you've established your family there uh care to tell us a little bit more about that Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Well, I never really saw myself settling in Toronto. I I always wanted to travel and see the world. Um, My family loved to travel, and I sort of have adopted in um, their footsteps. And I, you know, I wanted to immerse myself in art, and I couldn't do that the way I wanted to in Toronto or Montreal, um, because I studied art history, and there was so much art, as you know, here in Europe. Oh, yeah. So I figured I can travel to Europe and and work and and visit all the museums that I've always wanted to see. And I was I don't know, I was I think I was following kind of a, an, a dream, an instinctual dream. When I was a kid, I dreamed of being some kind of an art director because I used to love to paint and draw. And I also used to dream that my kids would have an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> And do they? And they do. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I've I've also uh, moved for for dreams as well. A lot of people think that I came to Montreal for VFX, uh, but that's actually not true. Uh, I I came because my other field of study was French. Uh, I love languages, and after doing study abroad, uh, Quebec just seemed kind of like the perfect harmony between what I loved about France and uh, what I missed about 
life in the U.S., where I'm from. Uh, so Montreal became the perfect place, and I followed my dreams too. It really, really speaks to me. That's great. Do you think you're going to settle down there? I have. Uh, I've been here 13 years now. Oh, have you? My husband is a Montreal native. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. It's Montreal's a great city. I have really fond memories of being there. It's a great place. Oh, definitely, for sure. Speaking of breaking out of your comfort zone and chasing after dreams, uh, I think that's a notion that's just so vital for personal growth and happiness. But in the last few years, it's been really rough between COVID and other major world events going on, and people's psyches are just down. Do you have any advice you could share for people who could maybe use a little boost right now to kick it back in gear. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, COVID trapped us a bit in our homes for a while, and um, but also enabled us to have more time for ourselves. I think taking the opportunity maybe to give yourself a few hours, you know, take advantage of the hybrid scenario, take the hour of traveling time that you would have had on the train and move it to a forest or yeah, um, yeah. do something, take yourself out for breakfast and, and treat yourself. Sometimes it's, we forget that we don't have to just wake up and sit at our desks. We can take a moment for ourselves. Yeah. It's very true that that time in transit is super important. That's uh, it's time in between where we just think to ourselves and we're kind of free of the burden of responsibility either at home or at work. And we really need that time to, to process and relax. So it's a good thing to remember. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really love my travel time actually coming into the office because I do get that one hour in the morning where it is really quiet on the, you know, on the London overground train. And it's actually, I find it really relaxing. I don't have to work if I don't want to. I don't have to be a mom. I can just do what I want to do. And I really, I really appreciate that time. I can just scroll on the internet. Yeah. You know, I can, I can download a Netflix film. I can just do what I want. So I think taking that, that hour traveling time is really something that you can embrace. Oh, for sure. This is why I really enjoy personally road trips. Uh, I am the epitome of passenger princess, if you will. I can navigate real good. I can change the radio station real good. But I love being able to just sit back and look out the window at the countryside, see how people uh, decorate and take care of their homes, check out the cows and the horses in the field. I just love taking that all in. Oh, me too. I w can you teach that to my kids? Because they always look in their phones. <laughs> They're never looking oh, out no. the window. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. Yeah, that's the one time I, that I that I don't look at my phone. I think I, like the rest of us, I spend way too much time on my phone. But when I'm in a car, when I'm on a train, you know, I've just I've got to be looking at, out the window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now switching gears a little bit, uh, but still keeping on the train of advice. Everyone always says, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions, and that's how you really get ahead. And that's, it's very true. But outside of the tried and true, what else is in your bag of tricks for keeping your skill set strong and fresh? I know you're uh, everywhere <laughs> all at once, kind of like the movie <laughs> that we talked about before. Um, aside from that, what, what's your secret? Well, I don't think there's one secret, but I think if we're talking about compositing, one thing that always strikes me as slightly odd is how 
people don't always look at references or they don't find a reference that's similar to what they're doing and actually a B it in their comp when they're discussing it in dailies. And I think that, um, I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing. I was just about to say guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's so helpful to look at references and, you know, I remember once working on a shot, um, years ago and I was looking at the way light spills in a kind of misty, you know, um, street scene. And so I found an image and I put it in the comp and I was showing the visual effects supervisor and his reaction was just amazing. He was like, wow, that look, you know, wow, I can't believe you did that. And I, and I didn't think it was anything special because, you know, you have to, this is what we're doing. We're recreating life. Yeah. You don't always remember. I mean, we'd like to think that we remember how everything looks, um, but actually physically putting a reference into your comp is so helpful and also it gives a gives clues to who you're presenting to where you're going with something because you might put something in there that's completely uh different from what they were thinking yeah. and so they might look at that re image reference and say oh actually no I had something else in mind let me show you what I was thinking and so speaking that kind of visual language and looking for references and clues to how you can make something better is always so important. Yeah, and I think that speaks a lot to your uh, background and interest in art history. Because uh, when you think about it, art students, what do they do? They go to the museums and they study the masters. You have to learn uh, how to draw and how to paint from the references that came before you. There's nothing new under the sun, really. Everything is a reference for something else in the future. And all we're really doing is recycling ideas and making them bigger and better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look to what you can source. That's great. Um, we also, we spoke about your family a bit earlier, uh, which is really cute. I'm really happy to hear about your kids. That's such a fun factoid. Um, but I'm wondering between your family and your work life, um, how do you maintain a work-life balance, especially since you play such a crucial role for your department with so many uh, people depending on you? Um, well, it's become a lot easier now that the kids are 12 and 13. Um, so, you know, um, they're a lot more self-sufficient. But I think having a strong family network and friend network is really important. Being able to organize your schedule and know exactly what you're doing. You know, that doesn't always happen in, in our line of work. As you know, we have to work late a lot of the time. But yeah. Um, being able to set expectations and, and, you know, try not to disappoint anyone. So just clear communication with your family is really important. I think mm -hmm. it, what makes it easier in, for, for me and my, my um, husband is that my husband's also a compositor. So he understands, <laughs> you know, the, the ins and outs of what we do. And so it's, I think that makes it a lot easier. You know, like I, I think when you say you're working till, you know, nine o'clock at night, not everybody gets that, but <laughs> we have an understanding. So yeah, yeah. So he has to do it too, you know, and so we support each other. I was going to say, have you ever come across a problem? It's it's both a gift and a curse that since he's a compositor, if you both have to work crazy hours, then what happens? Yeah, we just manage. I mean, it, it, we usually um, have the foresight to know that one of us will be able to and the other one won't. So we, we, we manage our time that way. Yeah. That's great. Um, 
I also wanted to ask you about uh, how do you how do you accomplish so much uh, with only 24 hours in a day? Do you have tips for like delegating work or, or setting boundaries? What's uh, how do you how do you do that? Um, I mean, usually my calendar is um, organized about a week in advance. So I know, you know, what's coming up and I know what meetings I need to prepare for. Um, and, you know, without the calendar, I think I'd probably be a bit lost. Um, making to-do lists is also really good. So trying to get through a workload, you know, that you organize for yourself for the week, um, is pretty important as well. Um, so that, you know, you've got a, a goal in hand and you want to tick all the boxes just to make sure that, you know, by the end of the week you have, uh, completed X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But definitely the calendar. <laughs> Without that, <laughs> I'd be all over the place. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. What about you? How do you how do you organize your time? Uh, well, I'm lucky in that uh, as an artist, we have coordinators and a whole production team running around us uh, that kind of keep us in line. And if ever anything goes awry on my side, they're able to shuffle things around, make the magic happen, uh, and if need be, delegate a task to somebody else or find somebody that's in downtime and say, hey, uh, can you help Sterling out on this shot? She's got a tricky portion that's taking her a bit longer. Um, Maybe you guys can team up and tackle it head on. Uh, And it really works. And speaking of production, I have to give a mandatory shout out to my coordinator on Rebel Moon right now, Nick Bannon whose morning daily rounds I am missing to record this podcast. So thank you for the good work you do, production team. (laughs) Yeah, I think think our production teams all need a shout out because they do work really hard to keep everything in line and moving at a really good pace. So yeah, Yeah. I agree with you. (laughs) Big shout out to them. They have have my calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, on, On the more technical side of things, uh, with Hollywood on strike right now and the integration of AI on the horizon, uh, it seems like a lot of things are poised to change really quickly in our industry. Um, where do you see that going in the coming years? What do you think the future of comp is going to look like? Uh, do you think Nuke will be replaced by a bigger, better tool? Oh my gosh. Um, well, art and technology is always advancing. Um, you know, photography didn't replace painting. And I don't think AI is going to replace filmmaking or VFX. Um, I think we just see a shift in, we'll see a shift in how we do things. Um, but there'll always be a need for someone behind the computer or behind the IA making decisions on what they want to create. Um, I think it'll get faster and we'll see more independent films probably like at a new kind of level. Um, you know how when YouTube kicked off People could just make their own films and and the world could see them. You know, it was amazing. It gives more creative power to the masses. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and um, I think AI will be similar. To, I mean, who knows? Like, it's it's moving at such a fast pace. You know, every day there's a new tool out there. But you know, we've been having some fun. Our team, we've been playing with Midjourney and Runway, and we've been um, doing lots of tests and. Just having a good old time. We have a chat group where we all talk about um, what we're seeing out there and um, people are posting podcasts and links to 
tools. So yeah, we're we're keeping in touch with what's going on out there. But I don't know if Nuke will be replaced or I mean we are certainly already using AI in Nuke. Yeah. Um I think Nuke is definitely embracing uh some of the um advancements in AI for sure. Um so I think I don't think it's gonna be replaced. I think I mean, who knows? I, you know, 10 years down the line, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe it'll be an AI apocalypse. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll all have to look for jobs outside of the computer. <laughs> would Would you say then in that vein that creative skills are going to be more valuable to have and to hone uh, in the future than technical ones? I don't think so. I think we always need the tech brains behind, you know, the, the artistic skills I, I what do you think oh well I'm very creatively inclined I can't program to save my life I tried to take a few python classes but it's just not sticking uh which is funny because my husband is a developer he's a web developer <laughs> so all he does is program between the two of us we make one functional technological and artistic uh force but uh yeah so I I would like it to go the more creative way uh, but I think it'll really just open up more doors and opportunities to more people, like you said, because when when you don't have to open up uh, the black box and, and see the, the inner workings of everything and know how to rewire everything, and you have a better, like, what you see is what you get kind of interface for uh, for doing things, then it's easier to achieve more complex operations faster and better and cheaper too yeah that's true I mean we are using some tools but you know there's still quite a lot of tech behind you know the interfaces and I I don't know I think there's there's still a combination of the two I think together uh both the tech and the artist yeah we will will, we will be seeing a a complete shift a complete shift sorry but you know a, a big shift let's say yeah. Um, in the future. But we'll always need people who know how to prepare <laughs> those kinds of things and who do understand the tech for uh, getting us out of sticky situations. Yeah, exactly. And making it perfect, you know, at this point anyways, we can we can't yet generate exactly what we want by, oh, sure. you know, just using a word prompt or, you know, um, we're, yeah. there's so much tweaking that needs to be done and the quality still hasn't reached a level of what we can create in VFX. And even, even now, if, uh, if we could do everything perfect the first time around, our pipeline would stop at lighting. There would be no need for compositing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not not to take a job at the lighting department, but the number of times that you get uh, broken lighting or something that doesn't look at all like the direction the looks dev has gone since the lighting was produced. That's uh, every time they say, uh, oh, you know, we'll fix it in post. That's our department. We're the post. We are the post. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Switching gears completely. Enough about VFX. What are your passions outside of work? Oh, uh, well... I think due to family and time constraints, my current hobby when I have time is to catch up on films and TV uh, episodic stuff, you know, especially the stuff that we work on. I always want to see the really special work that we're doing. I just recently watched season one of um, Invasion uh, because we just finished working on season two. 
and that was so good. I can't wait to see season two because uh, our teams work so hard on creating fantastic visuals. Um, you won't even believe it, you know, just being able to articulate what's happening and how artists created the visuals for it. You just have to see it. It's so, so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I am currently doing that. I do have a secret passion to, I want to create mosaics. I never really get a time to do, I've been saying this for years. Um, I did try to do some mosaics not too long ago. Nice. Um, they weren't that, so they're actually really difficult to do. They're not easy. You would think it's not that hard, but coming up with a pattern, figuring out all the colors, you know, you, you look at mosaics and you think, oh, that was, that's really nice. That, yeah. It's not that hard, but it is. Gaudi for me has a whole new, I mean, I already really loved him anyways, but after going to Parkwell and seeing the work there and being completely inspired, like I have a whole new appreciation for what, you know, what he has created there. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Part of my vacation this summer, I went to Philadelphia to visit my aunt and uncle and I discovered a place there called the Philadelphia Magic Gardens. Have you ever heard of it? No. What is it? It is one artist uh, who over the span of like 30 some odd years took this piece of property that was in kind of a slummy neighborhood and mosaic to the entire thing. There's uh, like two houses joined together and then there's a side lot and he dug into the ground in the side lot to make this mosaic maze of ceramic and glass and found objects and, and sculpture. Uh, it's just an absolutely incredible world to see. And inside the house, uh, not only are all the walls mosaic, but it also houses its own gallery that has uh, rotating exhibitions. Uh, it's definitely something I recommend looking up or going to see if you ever get the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I I'm, I will definitely look yeah. up right after this uh, recording. It sounds incredible. <laughs> it really was. I have like hundreds of photos <laughs> I can share with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's a, you know, it's because it, it's a secret passion of mine to to create something. I need to, you know, I need more, not that I need more inspiration. I don't, but, you know, it's always amazing to see this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it's really valuable um, when we talk about taking time for ourselves and uh, to help you know, boost our morale and psyche. Um, we make art for other people all day and we do it on a very technical level and we don't always have creative control over things, but there's something so nice about being able to unwind and put our own creative energy into making art in our spare time. And that's something that I wish I had more time to do. Like you said, um, I used to draw a lot. I still do on the side, but not near as much as I would like. Uh, and I even, during the pandemic, I tried my hand at ceramics. Oh man, just like mosaics, that is so much harder than it looks. And I have so much respect for people that can throw a good pot on a wheel. I believe you. Yeah. That I've, I've always wanted to try doing um, pottery. I would, I would love to try it. Yeah. It seems like a really therapeutic art form to me. Yeah. Yeah. Making something with your hands. There's something to be said for that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Last but not least. Uh, we talked a bit about um, your history on both sides of the Atlantic in, in Canada and London. And as I mentioned, I'm a Montreal transplant and I have really grown to love this city and consider it my home. 
it's so vibrant year round with festivals, culture, cuisine, art. Uh, if you could take one slice of Montreal life across the pond with you, what would it be? I love Tam Tam. Um, do you know what Tam Tam is? <laughs> I sure do. Every <laughs> Sunday. Every Sunday uh, at the side of the mountain, uh, people gather together and they bring their bongos and they sit underneath the statue uh, and they just play music. They play their drums and all around the statue, people come around and they sell necklaces. It's a very hippie sort of vibe, oh, isn't yeah. it? So people sell necklaces and jewelry and scarves and you know kids are playing on the grass and I mean the vibe there is just it's all positive isn't it yeah it's, it's carefree and spontaneous there's there's never never been any formal organization no. or meet up to it like you're not going to find a Facebook group or a, a sponsor behind it it's just people gathering in the park to have a great time and there's always, I, what I've always found fascinating is people will just sit down, start jamming, and you can listen to the music take shape. Mm -hmm. It kind of just, it's kind of like a rhythm that just flows, and it it just kind of creates itself in a way. Yeah. I just love that vibe. It is, It feels very free. Yeah, it's, it's very organic, and mimics, uh, mimics other things in nature, how they take shape and grow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I could transplant Tam Tam to London, I think a lot of people here would be really happy. We should make one. Do it. <laughs> we Do it. Do it. Yeah. We need to get some bongos. If we, we've launched a podcast, let's launch a Tam Tam kind of jamboree. Why not? <laughs> Sounds amazing. I hadn't heard of that. It's so cool. Wonderful. Well, that's, that's it for me. Good job. That's all the questions I have. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Sterling. Sterling, if I ever want to drop the, the hosting duties, you are a, a welcome understudy to take on the, uh, <laughs> the Frame Store podcast. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, in the best part of half an hour, you covered, I mean, projects, you know, the whole you know, IA and film worlds. You know, that whole conversation around AI was really interesting and then segueing into kind of culture and arts and kind of creative pursuits i thought it was really really strong really 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 interesting thank and, uh, you pleasure to listen in on as well so, so good job i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did yeah these are all the things that i would really want to know uh, you asked me to write questions and uh yeah these are the things i find important to talk about so i'm glad that we got the chance to well, i'm a, i'm a fellow um commuter maximizer as you are Suze. i <laughs> am I, I'm about an hour to get home and i think we live in, so both live somewhere in sorry don't we we're both kind of almost neighbors I have about an hour door to door and uh, I make the most of it. I'm podcasting, sketching, watching movies, I pack in all the stuff I don't always have the time to do into that two hours a day when I'm, I'm in the office. And uh, yeah, so that really resonated with me. Yeah, exactly. So all about that. And uh, yeah, I love uh, the, the, the fact that you're uh, the half set a comper. Uh, you should have got that into the, the career advice for uh, budding compers is if you want a happy, happy life. <laughs> uh, marry marry a compa or at least uh, hook up with a compa if you're young and out there out there on the market um yeah and uh the, i think the, the the you know my little boy's nine so he's not quite in his early teens yet so i'm definitely taking the clear communication advice to heart too so uh yeah brilliant really 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 great uh second part episode folks really enjoyed that before we let you go um is there anything Suze, that you want to shout about plug um, is there anything the team's working on that you want to kind of give them props for? Anything you want to shout out before we let you out of the uh, 
the podcast Digital Door. Um, yeah, I want to give a big shout out to my, um, well, I say my, I shouldn't say my, but our compositing team, you know, yeah. um, they are extraordinary humans. They're just lovely people. They work really hard. Um, everybody supports each other. I, I can't tell you how happy I am to have such a supportive team. So yeah, I just want to give a big shout out to them. They're doing a fantastic job and I wouldn't be here without them. They're, they just make coming into work a pleasure every day. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, what a great place to leave it. And, uh, yeah, I love how these, uh, when I say this, these episodes, this one whole episode, both parts, uh, has been a real love letter to comp. I'm glad that it's become this kind of uh, comp special almost by osmosis. It just so happened we got we got Sterling on board as uh, as co-host, but it's been a really, really joyous, really, really lovely set of episodes that uh, a lot of people have asked for, as we said, uh, Suze, when we, we, we connected before getting this in place. So, uh yeah, you've definitely exceeded my expectations, uh, both Suze as, as our special guest and, and Sterling as our special guest co-host. It's been a great episode. I've really enjoyed spending this time with you both. Um, thank you, Suzanne and Sterling, for being on the Frame Store podcast. Have a great rest of your day, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sterling. It was really nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you both. It's been an incredible experience. You're both great people to talk to. Awesome. All right. Take good care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. It just leaves me to thank Suzanne for being a jaw-droppingly awesome guest, Sterling for being this week's most excellent guest co-host, and special thanks, as always, to Sam Sosnowski from the Global Training Team for another brilliant edit. We'll be back in another two weeks with another guest from our global Framestore community. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.